The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Since Hamas soldiers invaded Israel on October 7th, many of us have been following the news quite closely. A story that was of particular international interest for several weeks was the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City. Israel claimed that the hospital was concealing underground tunnels which led to the headquarters of Hamas. So the world was watching as Israeli troops advanced closer and closer to this hospital. In the meantime, however, supplies of fuel, food, water, and medicine were being strangled. Finally, the Israeli army encircled the hospital entirely, which no longer then was a place where lives were saved. Instead, it had become just another death zone. However, on November 21st, Israel allowed for the evacuation of the hospital's most vulnerable patients, approximately two dozen premature babies, to be safely evacuated to Egypt. At present, five of these babies have died. The rest, however, are in Egypt, receiving emergency care, which will hopefully save their lives and reunite them eventually with their families. Currently, 
As of an hour ago, when I looked at the news, there was a truce between Israel and Hamas in order to facilitate a hostage exchange, which so far is going rather peacefully. While this truce holds, aid is entering the Strip by way of Egypt in order to relieve the unfolding humanitarian crisis there. Four tankers carrying almost 35 gallons of diesel fuel and another four trucks transporting natural gas crossed into the Egyptian border on Friday morning. All told, about 200 trucks entered the Palestinian enclave on Friday. Having followed the unfolding tragedy at the Al-Shifa hospital, I was struck by the agreement that allowed safe passage for these two dozen babies from Palestine to Egypt. I realized this isn't the first time a baby's life was saved by fleeing to Egypt. But first we need to back up. In the Christian church, today is known as Christ the King Sunday. Today is the last Sunday in our church year, a day when we recap the events of Jesus' life as we understand him to not only be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, but also the Son of God who was executed, who descended into hell in order to crush it, and who now sits enthroned in heaven as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Every three years, the church rotates its readings of the three synoptic gospels, that is to say Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If we think of the gospels like four brothers, siblings if you will, these three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, follow the rules and similar basic timelines regarding the life of Jesus. Mark is the oldest brother, Matthew and Luke are the somewhat more diplomatic middle brothers, John is the poetic, artistic youngest child who gets to do whatever he wants, so we read from him on festivals like Christmas and Easter. Today we are wrapping up the year of Matthew. For a solid year, the church around the world has read the same gospel passages and preached on the same texts Starting next Sunday with the first Sunday of Advent, which is the season before Christmas, we begin the year of Mark. But before we do that, we need to pause to give Matthew his due diligence because there is a peculiar irony in how the beginning, in the beginning of the book of Matthew and how it parallels to events in our world today. The book of Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, identifying him as the promised and long-awaited son of David. It then moves through a very brief birth narrative, Mary, Joseph, angel of the Lord, Jesus is born. There are no shepherds, no host of heavenly angels, no Bethlehem star, no manger. You'll have to wait for the year of Luke for these things. Matthew skips over all of these details because there are more pressing matters at hand. You see, when Jesus is born, he is the fulfillment of the Hebrew prophets, which hail him as king of the Jews. However, King Herod, the current reigning king of Judea and a strong ally of the Roman Empire, isn't having it. He's a jealous and insecure king. At the same time, Certain wise men from the east arrive to worship the infant Jesus, so Herod calls for them and asks them where the baby Jesus is so that he too can go and worship him, which of course is a lie. However, the kings deduce Herod's hidden agenda to murder the infant Jesus, so having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they go home by a different road. At the same time, 
Joseph is also warned in a dream that Herod is hunting for Jesus in order to kill him. And he is instructed to take both Jesus and Mary to Egypt and stay there until Herod dies, which Joseph does. He and Mary grab their baby son and escape that very night, fleeing the danger of Bethlehem for the safety of Egypt. And there's the irony. Over 2,000 years ago, the infant Jesus fled for his life to Egypt, just as those premature babies did only last week. I wonder, did they cross the same Sinai Peninsula? Did they navigate the same deserts? Did they cross the Nile at the same place? Just as it saved Jesus' life, this passage to Egypt proves to be life-saving for the most vulnerable of humans in our time, our infant children. How strange and ironic that as we end the year of Matthew, world events force us back to Matthew's very beginning, where an infant child finds himself a homeless refugee, a stranger in a strange land. For four years, Jesus and his family remain in Egypt until Herod dies. But when they learn that Herod's son has ascended the throne in Judea, they bypass Bethlehem and make their way to the district of Galilee to the city of Nazareth, and this is where Jesus grows up. Again, strangers in a strange land. Not only does Jesus' early childhood, juxtaposed against today's current events, help us wrap up this year of Matthew, but it also sets the stage for the beginning of Advent next week. And Matthew brilliantly does this today by circling back to an important theme in his gospel, which is the least of these. In our gospel for today, Jesus speaks of judgment. He places the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. <clears throat> to the sheep, he says, When I was hungry, you fed me. <clears throat> when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Inherit the kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world. And the sheep say, we don't understand when exactly did we do these things. And Jesus says, whenever you did these things to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. But to the goats on his left, he says, you didn't do anything at all. When I was sick or hungry or thirsty or naked or imprisoned or a stranger, you did nothing. And they answer, but when did we see you sick or hungry or thirsty or naked or imprisoned or a stranger? And Jesus says, when you ignore the least of these, when you ignore my family, you ignore me. Go now into eternal punishment. So Jesus seems to have strong feelings about the least of these. Exactly who is he talking about? Well, firstly, he's talking about himself and his family. He's plenty familiar with being counted among the least of these. He's four years old when he moves from Egypt to Nazareth. For four years, his family had been aliens in a strange land, refugees, displaced, fleeing violence in their homeland. And then again, when they moved to Galilee, again, strangers, refugees. How can we think this childhood narrative does not permanently impact Jesus and profoundly influence his preaching as an adult. Jesus knows firsthand what it means to be food insecure, to be homeless, 
to be without place. In today's world, the child Jesus would be in a detention center sleeping under a foil blanket. It's little wonder then that his first sermon in the book of Matthew immediately addresses the least of these. Fast forward from baby Jesus escaped to Egypt and now we discover the adult Jesus who gathers his disciples and ministers to great crowds of people telling them blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn and the meek and the hungry and the oppressed and the merciful and the innocent and the persecuted for they will be called children of God and they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spends his entire childhood as least of these. And now, as a grown-up adult preacher, he comes out swinging. Not only on behalf of God's justice, but on behalf of human injustice. As an adult whose brain is filled with memories of life as a tiny refugee. Least of these. His whole life is imprinted by memories and knowledge that his early years were endangered and vulnerable and insecure. Little wonder then that Jesus holds a special place in his heart for the least of these. Indeed, his entire childhood shapes who he is as an adult teacher and preacher. And this makes him exceedingly dangerous because power then and now depends on keeping the least least and the most, most. Today, <clears throat> Christians understand the least of these to refer to anyone who exists in vulnerability, whether due to race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, economic class. The least of these are indigenous nations which have been destroyed by white colonialism, the least of these are black people sold into slavery by the East African slave trade who are still held under the thumb of white power. The least of these are victims of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and ageism. The least of these are ones with special needs, both physical and mental. The least of these languish in prisons and detention centers and immigration camps. The least of these sleep next to our very own church at night and beg for money on Dubuque Street. But the least of these are also sitting to your left and to your right. The least of these are also ones who suffer silently, ones who are desperately lonely, who feel worthless, who are paralyzed by fear or anxiety, whose hearts are broken, whose hope is lost. <clears throat> Several weeks ago, Jake and I drove to Pella to watch Christian run cross-country with the Luther team. We caught up with him at the end of the race and saw him running shoulder to shoulder with one of his best friends. You could hear them grunting and talking under their breath, you know, like runners do. And you could tell they were pushing each other to their limits. At the end, about five meters or so before the finish line, Christian shoved Evan ahead of him in order to cross the finish line ahead of him, and I heard him yell, take it. And later, I asked Christian why he pushed Evan ahead of him, and he said, because he had a terrible week, and he needed it more than I did. I think this is what it means to have eyes out and open for the least of these. 
I am not comparing the struggle of two dozen preemie babies transported to Egypt with that of two boys from a liberal arts college running in a race. <laughs> but I am saying the least of these is anyone who is in any need anywhere. If you exist in vulnerability, then you are counted among the least of these. The least of these are Ukrainian friends displaced by Russian invasion. They are Israeli hostages taken by Hamas soldiers. They are LGBTQIA people living in danger in Uganda. They are refugees at our border. They are victims of domestic violence and human trafficking. Or they are a colleague that you work with every day. Or a fellow student in one of your classes. Or a person you see on the bus or in line at the grocery store. The world is definitely full of the least of these people who need something more than you do, like a position in a race, $5 for food, a place ahead of you at the grocery store, or someone with a story that just needs someone else to listen to them. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is powerfully passionate about the least of these, and he repeatedly calls for mercy and compassion. He knows well what it's like to be hungry and cold and friendless, both as a refugee child, but also as an adult, who spends his preaching years wandering the countryside, healing the diseased and outcast, eating with sinners, and forgiving the condemned, none of which makes him popular. His adult years are spent then exactly like his childhood years, homeless, estranged, hunted, and finally executed for preaching messages that glorify the least of these and condemn the authoritative powers of the day. So even when Jesus divides the sheep and the goats in today's gospel, even when Jesus casts the goats into eternal punishment, he knows he'll catch up with them soon when he is also cast into eternal punishment when he descends to the world of the dead in order to battle and destroy hell and Satan, Jesus casts the goats into eternal punishment, but he knows it's not eternal because he knows he is also their savior and their king of kings. He knows there is no eternal punishment. That's the whole reason he came to earth after all. As one of the least of these, Jesus begs us to open our eyes to others around us. Maybe we are not in the position to rescue premature babies to Egypt or smuggle an endangered family across a border, but all of us have eyes to look up and around. Last Saturday, I went to the Iowa football game. What do you think about that? <laughs> I'm a sports fan. <clears throat> this was the Iowa-Illinois game, right? Last week? Did I get that right? Okay, thanks. There was the usual wave, which makes most of us cry, right? I cry every time. And then when darkness descended, darkness descended, it was a 2.30 game, darkness descended, and the football crowd lit up their cell phone flashlights, and the children and families at Stead replied with their own cell phone flashlights. And I thought about myself and my slight discomfort in the cold my irritation at a game that never ends. <laughs> and then I looked at the hospital and remembered friends whose children had been patients there. And then I remembered our own Menzel family and Althea. And I told myself to shut the hell up. 
And I thanked God for this hospital, for the hands and brains that fight to save our children, for the reality that those babies are safe and will not be scooped up in the middle of the night and run across the Egyptian border in order to survive. As we walked away from the stadium, we walked past Stead, and I told Doug, that looks like Dan Menzel in the window, and it was. And we waved and blew kisses, and I yelled, I see you, I see you. And isn't that finally what Jesus is asking us to do, to look up and around and to say to the least of these, I see you, Jesus sees you, Jesus is you. I see you in your hospital rooms and therapist chairs and labs and classrooms. I see you in your suffering and fear and uncertainty. Jesus sees you, Jesus is you. In Matthew, Jesus says the first will be last, and the last will be first. And so in Jesus' eyes, the least of these are in fact the greatest of all. Filled with empathy and compassion, Jesus begins and ends his life as an outsider. This world rejected him, which means he exists where there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It means when you are rejected, Jesus glorifies you. It means when you are in last place, Jesus gives you first place. It means when you are stepped on, Jesus lifts you up. It means Jesus offers you a safe passage from death into life. It means Jesus meets you in your darkness and in your weeping and in your vulnerability and sees you for who you really are and loves you enough to give you his life, his kingdom, and his crown. Amen.